So the question is, where do we go from here? The last two years at the AGM, we mentioned that we're on a journey. Yeah, we kind of came out of COVID. There's a lot of transition that is beginning to settle down. But as ever, we are still on a journey. But I want to highlight a few things probably in the last year leading up to today that I want to mention. Towards the end of last year, there was a much greater hunger in the church that led to us doing our 21 days of prayer and fasting at the beginning of this year. That prayer and fasting really moved us forward spiritually. Uh, we spent 21 days every night. We were at the church for an hour. And at the end of it, we could really see the difference that God had brought through that. We then did a mission in April, uh, and in that mission there were about 10, 15 of us that went out on the streets to share the gospel. We had the healing meetings, and during that time we saw about 40 first-time commitments. We saw some people who were healed. But again, it was another forward momentum for us as a church. And I've noticed, as the pastor of the church, that people are growing in confidence in God using them, that God wants to use them and that they are open for God using them. Now, to me, that is a really good starting point for where we move forward from. God has been at work, God has done stuff, but there is more stuff that God wants to do. And there are two things I want to mention. What does God want us to do as Hope Church? Well, number one is to reach out. We need to reach out to people and share the good news of Jesus. But the second thing is about what we would call spiritual formation. I'll unpack that in a bit. But that is more to do with who we are in Jesus. And so there's a kind of twofold aspect. We need to grow in Christ and we need to go out and share about Christ. Those are the two things that we need to move forward in as a church. The first one reaching out is keeping up the momentum. We went out on the streets. We now have an evangelism team uh, that came together. Those guys who were part of the mission, uh, we met together and said, where do we go from here? And they said, we want to be an evangelism team that goes out regularly, to which I say, praise God. But I want to encourage those of you who maybe didn't go out to dip your toe in the water and say, hey, let's go out and share the gospel. They're also our de facto ministry team on a Sunday. So when people come forward for prayer or need prayer, those are the guys who are going to come and minister to people because God has used them. And so we're looking to create more opportunity by going out and connecting with people. And one of the things I'd say about that, when we were out on the streets, people were actually really open. You know, we knocked all the doors on Marsh Lane and people were very open to talking to us as the local church here. And we often think people are not interested. They are. What they don't want is religion. But they do want to know about Jesus. And so it's a great opportunity for us. The next thing about reaching out is to be more effective with our events. I've already had a, a chat with Michelle but, you know, we do something like Santa's Grotto 
in December. We have 100 plus people that come through that um, who are, are not believers and we could make that more effective by having a team of people present that can just begin to share the gospel with people. Not in your face, but simply sitting down saying, hey, I come to this church, can I share with you why? And sharing with people. And so there are things we can do with the events that we put on here at the church. And there are other events we could do that would draw people in. And if we have an effective team of people, we can really begin to share the gospel in a much greater way. Now, some of those things require teams and people. There is a lot of stuff I would like to do. I would love us to do an alpha. Yeah. I would love us to have um, things that engage people far more. We've got a few people. We've got Alan uh, and Liz who are cap trained, which means they can help people to sort out their finances. I'd love us to do that as a church. I'd love us to open the door and say to people, hey, we will teach you how to cook all of your meals for 50 quid a week. It's doable. There are lots of things we could do with reaching out. The problem is we need people to do it. I can't do it. I do not have enough time in my day to organize all of those things. And so the challenge is if we want to do more, then it is upon us as a church together to saying, hey, I want to get involved in that. And maybe there are things that we could do as a church that reaches out, that is something that God has put into your heart, that we could birth, that people would come behind, and we see more people being touched by the gospel. But the challenge is, that's upon us collectively, and I want to throw out that challenge what does God want you to do? You'll hear me saying that repeatedly. What is God's purpose for you here at Hope Church? Remembering that God's purpose isn't what your plan is, but what his plan is. I think it was somebody who prayed this morning in the prayer meeting. You know, that God knew about Hope Church. Here it was Sam. God knew about Hope Church before he made the world. God had a plan for Hope Church. And if you look back, we are uh, nearly 100 years old in another eight or so years. We're 100 years old. And there have been generations who've gone through here who have been faithful to God's purpose for Hope Church in this community. And it will continue after we've gone. But we've got to make sure we're fulfilling God's purpose to pass that baton on. The second part of that first was reaching out. The second is to do with spiritual formation. Luke 1.17 says that God wants a people who are prepared for Christ's return. Think about that for a minute. A people who are prepared. I want to read to you um, a quote that has really impacted me um, in recent days. Um, I read some of this out um, at Ralph's funeral because it just, uh, it just depicted about who we are, not necessarily about our accolades and our achievements. You see, the world is very much keyed on. When you meet someone for the first time, we ask the question, what do you do? 
But actually, what do you do says nothing, really. It might say their job, etc., but it doesn't tell you who they are. Because who they are can't be answered in one question. Who are you? You've got to relate to the person over a period of time and then you begin to find out who they are. The disciples had three and a half years with Jesus and in that time they began to see who Jesus was. And the challenge for us as the people of God is the church has spent years nationally and globally saying what the gospel is but not living it out. And I would say when I talk to people the most about following Jesus, they dislike the hypocrites they see in the church. And so this is what Dallas Willard says. He's my favorite author, I tell you. He says, the sudden failures that appear in the lives of some ministers and others are never really sudden, but are the surfacing of long-standing deficiencies in the hidden person of the heart. And that comes out of 1 Peter 3 4, where it says we shouldn't be those that are adorned by outward stuff, but we should have a beauty that is in the hiddenness of who we are in our hearts. And you know, there are people that you meet, Ralph was one of those, where who they were came out and it connected with you. And God wants us to be those kind of people. Let me tell you, if we are those kind of people, we will never ever need to make an opportunity to share the gospel because the opportunities will come to us. It's one of my big bugbears as being a Christian is that if we are exactly who Jesus wants us to be, people will come to us. Jesus rarely approached people to say anything. He only ever responded to people coming to him because they saw something in who he was and they wanted to connect with that. Dallas Willard goes on to say this, and this, this speaks to me because he's talking about ministers, but I think this is true for all of us. The people to whom we minister and speak will not recall 99% of what we say to them but they will never forget the kind of persons we are. This is certainly true of influential ministers uh, in my own past. The quality of our souls will indelibly touch others for good or ill, and so we must never forget that the most important thing happening at any moment in the midst of our ministerial duties is the kind of persons we are becoming. Wow. What's important here, the important thing is not what you say, but who you are as an individual. And the greatest, I mean, Dallas Willard goes on to say that the greatest thing that destroys love for God is serving God. And we've seen it throughout the years of the church that people get embroiled in social justice, you know, in different outreach programs and the serving takes over and the loving takes a back seat. Our primary role as individuals is to love Jesus Christ. And in loving Jesus Christ, we will become like Jesus Christ. And when we become like Jesus Christ, People will knock down our door to ask, what is it about you that is different? 
How do you cope? Why are you always smiling? Why are you generous and kind? What is it about you that makes you different? Now, we do it the wrong way around. We kind of say, this is what Jesus says Christians are, but we sometimes do not necessarily model this. It leads me on to the purpose of salvation. If I asked you, in terms of salvation, from what are you saved? All of you would give me the answer, we're saved from our sin, we're saved from hell. If I asked you, to what are you saved? You'd say, well, we're saved to Jesus, we're going to go to heaven, uh, and we'll be with God forever. But if I said to you, for what are you saved? There might be some silence. You see, part of our gospel that has been a bit unbalanced has only looked that we need to deal with sin so we get to heaven. And that is, as I grew up in church, that has been the main underlying thing that we've preached. You've got to repent of your sins so you can go to heaven. But the question is, well, what use are we supposed to be on the earth? I mean, what about my life now, not just my life in heaven? What's that about? And surely salvation has a purpose for us on the earth. I was meditating in Ephesians 1 this morning, and Ephesians 1 verse 1 says this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And I just read it slowly. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And, and, and uh, the thought that crossed me was this. What if we removed the words Paul and Apostle and inserted ourselves in there? And we said, Simon, a what? Uh, of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Simon, a pastor. Or Simon, a teacher of Jesus Christ by the will of God. But what would you put in there? If I said Laura, if I said Dave, or if I said Sam or Liz or Natalie, if I said Zoe or Nephemi or James, what would the next bit be that God has called you to be right here, right now, in the context that you live in? And it's not isolated. David in the Old Testament was a king by God. Isaiah was a prophet, Samuel was a priest, and the question comes, what about you? And that is the whole purpose of spiritual formation. Because spiritual formation is about becoming like Jesus, and in becoming like Jesus, we see the purpose to which we are called. And some of those purposes are there and quite obvious. We are called to be and live in abundance. You know, Jesus doesn't call us to live a life of lack. Psalm 23 says we have no lack because God is our shepherd. We are called to live a life of power and fulfilment, a life that has an impact and a life that is fruitful. Now that all sounds really good, but I ask the question out of that, how does that actually occur? How do we become like Jesus? What needs to happen that takes us from where we are now to where Jesus wants me to be? Well, actually, the answer is in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. 
And in the Great Commission are these words, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. So Jesus has spent three and a half years with his disciples. Now remember this, the disciples had to leave everything. You see, we kind of forget, we come to a church, we make a decision to follow Jesus, but our life continues as it was. There are some people who are called into full-time ministry, of which we would kind of say that's what happened with the apostles. But Jesus told them to leave everything, and for three and a half years, he took them through spiritual formation. He taught them how to behave. He showed them how to pray. He showed them how to have faith. He had to undo what the world had instructed them into. Now, before you think that Jesus' comment is the only one, in the end of his life, in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul says this, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Wow. Think about that for a moment. The Apostle Paul brought the whole counsel of God to the people. Now, that is my job. That is the job of us as a leadership team is to teach you everything that God wants you to know and that's the stuff in here. Now, there is a problem because in modern church life, most people only turn up to church on a Sunday and a Sunday we're preaching maybe for 20, 30 at an extreme 40 minutes. That is not enough to teach you the whole counsel of God and to give you time to practice that and get involved. I mean, you look at children, they go to school, was it six or eight hours a day because we think they need to be educated so that when they're adults they know how to integrate into society. So what am I saying is the how? The how is that there is some effort involved in becoming like Jesus. That doesn't mean that we're working for our salvation. Dallas Willard makes this comment, grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. We kind of think that all we need is to believe, but then we don't do. And when you read the book of James, the book of James is really clear. It says that we need to do what the word says, not just read it. We live in an era where people agree about things, but it doesn't translate into practice. And so there are things that we need to do on a daily basis if we are following Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's the same theme, teaching them everything. I've given you the whole counsel of God, living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I don't have time to go into detail because I want to unpack that. But if I was really spending time, I would look at James chapter 2 and he says, Actually, I'm going to turn to it because it's such a brilliant scripture. So James chapter 2, uh, he's really talking about faith and works in the kind of second half of that. And he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And then he says, 
Can such a faith save him? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer is really no, it can't. A faith that is not outworked into action is no faith at all, according to the book of James. And he says that our faith should be producing something. We ought to be a people that produces fruit out of the faith that God has given to us. Now there's a practical aspect to this. I've asked myself as a leader, you keep asking yourself the questions, how do I best serve? How do I best help? I've got young children that I want to follow Jesus. How do we best tackle this to establish some things in there? And the simple answer is, is exactly the same for anything else. My son, you need to close your ears a moment, James. My son really doesn't like brushing his teeth. And so we have to establish a habit with him where we push him every day to brush his teeth. And we will keep doing that until it is an instinctive habit, as it is with his sister. Now, that seems like an odd thing, but we have that in everything. If you want to get healthy or if you want to lose weight, you have to intentionally establish a habit that will build in healthy eating and exercise and then over time you will reach where you want to be. You're not gonna, it's not going to happen by you going around and saying, well, one day I'm going to pray and all my fat's going to fall off my body because God's going to do a miracle. He says, no, Simon, you need to get a hold of your diet and exercise. Why am I saying that? There are spiritual disciplines that God expects us to do that will grow us to be like Jesus. The first and foremost of those is Bible memorization. I can see you all groaning. Let me tell you, memorizing portions of the Bible is the most consistent way that you will grow in God. And there's a reason for that. Because when you memorise, you have to keep repeating those words and repeating those words and repeating those words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You keep repeating it. The Lord is my shepherd. And all of a sudden you think, wow, this means this. And then you can begin to pray it for people. Oh, I, I want to pray for Zoe that the Lord is her shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And I was thinking about it, wow, green. Not, you know, um, brown, um, stubbly, dry, density. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And I realise that a sheep only lies down when it's satisfied. Wow, God wants me to live in abundance. I can pray that for folks who are struggling. I can pray and say, Lord, I want to pray that they would lie down in green pastures. And it begins to do something in me. It's a word that resonates with me. When I memorise scripture, it's with me in the shower. I'm talking with people. It's there when I'm praying. It informs my prayer life. Memorization is a biblical discipline, a spiritual discipline that forms the character of Jesus in us. Now, there are lots of those. Silence and solitude, prayer and fasting, and the, and the list goes on. I mention those because those are the ways in which God builds Jesus' character into your life. I'm going to mention one quick one. 
Sometimes we struggle with anger. Probably nobody here, but sometimes we struggle with anger. Now, there are two ways we can approach it. We can hope that in the moment of when we are angry, that we will not be angry and not make outbursts that we later on regret. But usually, our history tells us that that doesn't work. And so God has a spiritual discipline that solves that problem. It's called silence and solitude. If you spend one day a week or one day a month where you refuse to speak, where you say, I'm going to be silent the whole day. I'm not going to say one word. There will be moments when you want to speak, but you remember, no, today's the day of silence. You hold that back. As you develop that, it will become something that becomes easier and easier to do. And in that moment, you'll encounter God. You'll hear more of God. But the effect of that is that when you come to a moment of where you would be angry, you are able to stop your tongue from speaking. What you can't do in the moment, the grace of God can enable you to do as you do a certain practice. It's like running, I don't know, 100 metres. If you run it now, you might do it. We might need to call a paramedic and you kind of think, okay. But if you do a little each day, all of a sudden you find, hey, I can do this. It isn't any different with the spiritual disciplines that God expects us to do because those are the things that he taught his disciples to do. Those are the things that are part of the whole counsel of God about teaching them to do everything that I've commanded you. Now, I am not saying that these practices will save us because they won't. They will require grace and faith, but they are God's means of transforming us over time. Now, over the next 12 months, I'm going to take some time to unpack those things. And I'm going to challenge you to practice some of those. I'm going to give us some passages of the Bible to memorize as a church. And I guarantee you, we will have testimonies of people saying, wow, this has really helped me. I'm able to say, because I'm now older than 50, that we can memorize if we're over 50. Maybe it takes a bit longer from when I was 30, but we can still do it. And I find that once I start memorizing, I get faster and better at it in doing it. I can memorize about one verse a day. But those things, again, it's a, it's a matter of practice and a matter of repeating. Now, I've mentioned all of that because in the next 12 months, the plan is this. We want to reach out to people, but we also want to be transformed to be the right kind of people who are reaching out. And I am on a Sunday. I want to do some things. I want to increase the number of people who preach in the church. And I'll be announcing at some point I'm going to meet with everybody who preaches and everybody who wants to preach. And we will do some training and teaching to help that through. But we're going to, on a Sunday, have quite a specific focus on training the church so that we become who God wants me to be. That each one of us can say, I am who God wants me to be. And whether that's evangelism, whether that's reaching out to your neighbours, whether that's hospitality or generosity, that we know what God wants to do in us. I'm going to finish 
with uh, another quote. Now, I know I've thrown a lot of stuff out there, and you're welcome to email me, come and chat to me, have a coffee or whatever. We can talk some of those things through. But the thing I'm asking for you, uh, I'm asking from you today, is whether you are willing to put some effort in to grow in God. It is not going to happen by you just believing in Jesus and yet not doing anything on a spiritual level to move yourself forward. And so Dallas Willard has written this book called The Greater Mission and where he talks about this, about spiritual disciplines and moving forward. And at the end of the book, he says this. What to do now? Convert the world? No. Convert the church? Judgment is famously said to begin in the house of God It has the divine light and divine provisions and because of that is the most responsible to guide humankind. But the answer is again, no, do not convert the church. Your first move as you go is in a manner of speaking, convert me. If we wish to convert the church and the world, we begin with ourselves. That is something that can, with divine aid, be undertaken with clarity and effectiveness. Once we understand discipleship to Jesus and how it works. Our maestro never told us to convert the world or to reform any religious organisations. He did tell us that when we are filled with him, we will bear witness of him to the ends of the earth. Witnesses are those who cause others to know. They witness. They are not manipulators, no need of that, though what they say and what they do is radically transformative. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for us as Hope Church. I know that you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us. I know that you want us to be like Jesus. You want that character to be formed in us. And I want to pray that as over the next 12 months, we look at how we can follow you and how we can be transformed, that you would help us. And I pray as well as we take a hold of opportunities to reach out to people, that you would encourage and challenge our hearts to be involved. Lord, we thank you. And we bless you. We thank you for every department. We thank you for all of the serving that people do. We thank you for everything that is given into the church. Every penny of finance, every um, minute of volunteering and help, every prayer that is made. And Father, every ministry that functions. And we ask that by the grace of God, you would help us to do more and to know you better and to be a greater witness and a brighter light in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.